Welcome to Brad Kyle's Brad's Motor Works podcast. We'll be talking about some things about BMW, some things of cars in general, and some things about car repair. I hope you find it educational, enlightening, and I hope it increases your understanding of your car. And maybe along the way we'll have some fun too. Thank you for listening, and here we go. Episode number 227, The Snowball Effect, A Diagnostic Tale. The uh, subtitle on it, so to speak, is Regardless of your level of talent and experience as a diagnostician, symptoms created by man-made faults are almost always the most difficult ones to solve. So this one's going to be, um, it's a tale of, uh, you know, how one thing leads to another, but uh, unfortunately during the process there was some uh, issues introduced. I don't recall whether it was by him or someone else, but again, obviously man-made faults, and so hence the snowball effect. The reason I'm doing this one, I'm going to be reading from an article from a trade magazine. Uh, it, it happens to be what's called Motor Age, and it was written by a Chris Martino, and um, it's uh, it's an interesting article. It kind of will give you a little bit of a uh, insight into sometimes the different diagnostic processes we have to go through as automotive technicians, and uh, you know, just uh, It was kind of an interesting one, so I thought, well, I'll make a podcast out of it and go from there. Uh, just real quick, as usual, um, if you want to get a hold of me via email, it's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. And again, I'm also on LinkedIn under Brad's uh, MotorWorks, so you want to check that out. So anyway, here we go. Uh, I was called to a local body shop to look at a two- 2017 Cadillac-, Cadillac Escalade for a customer. Over the phone, I was told that the vehicle goes into limp mode ever since he had had a mechanical had it at a mechanical repair shop. He mentioned the shop broke a connector for the rearview mirror, and ever since then, the vehicle would have a bunch of warning indicators on the dash, the steering effort would get high, and the truck would go into a limp mode. From what he was saying, this sounded like a simple repair. Fix the connector, look like a hero, collect money, and move on. Since you're reading this, you can probably tell what that is not how it went. The saga begins. This caddy has one of those newfangled mirrors with a compass and a video screen that appears when reverse is selected. As I was told, the harness side of the connector was destroyed. The coaxial cable for the video screen was destroyed as well. The shop owner then informed me that the broken harness was only available with a complete headliner, so he did not want to replace it if he didn't have to. I decided to hook my scan tool up to the vehicle to get a baseline. I always run a complete scan of a vehicle as a rule. This lets the vehicle tell me a story. I have been burned too many times by vehicles with cascading failures caused by a component that is unrelated to the original complaint. I was confronted by a plethora of communication codes. As I was reading through this quick test, I I felt myself at the top of a steep hill holding a snowball. I decided to ask the vehicle owner to elaborate a little more on the vehicle's history. He explained to me that this is his personal vehicle that he purchased from a body shop that gave up on it. Snowball was just released. Upon further questioning, he then told me that this vehicle had been a total loss, hit on every panel, and had some modules replaced. But which modules? Good question. The best answer I could get out of him was a couple. The vehicle ran and drove, so I decided the best thing to do was to bring it back to my shop so I could spend some time with it to properly go through this thing. 
The first thing I decided to do was to get a diagnostic plan in order. According to the test plan, the vehicle had chassis CAN codes, engine LIN codes, and broken wiring at the rearview mirror. I wanted to reach for the low-hanging fruit. In this case, I literally, in this case, I literally had low-hanging wires, so I wanted to attack that first. Pulling a wiring diagram, I could see exactly what was on this circuit. I could see the main voltage supply, ground, coaxial cable for the video signal, reverse signal, and a driver for the auto dimmer. The voltage supply comes from ignition main relay, the ground comes from G210, and the reverse signal comes right from the trailer backup lamp relay. Using some deductive reasoning, I can tell this mirror turns the screen on when it gets a signal from the trailer backup lamp relay. The signal is provided from the coaxial cable. The, comp the compass display is all handled internally at the mirror. What is missing from this diagram? That's right, no CAN bus wiring. There is no way this is causing the customer's complaint. The snowball is starting to grow and pick up speed. Avoid the mirage. It was time to consult the quick test again. There were a bunch of communication DTCs and they were everywhere. I've had, I have had experience with this generation of GM trucks causing CAN DTCs with the use of aftermarket scan tools. That's another story. So I decided to hook up the OEM tool, the GDS2, and scan from there. I ran the codes and cleared them. Reading the new results of the factory test, I saw that we had a bunch of DTCs for the chassis expansion bus being offline. This was reported in the power steering module, body control module, electronic brake control module, uh, active safety module, and suspension control module. If the power steering module is down, that would explain the hard steering symptom. I tried to do as much research as possible before pulling anything apart. I decided to get a network diagram for the chassis expansion bus. Reading this diagram, this seemed like a typical GM daisy chain CAN network, meaning for each module on the network, there are two CAN bus wires going in and two CAN bus wires going out to the next module. There are also two 120 ohm resistors on the network, one at the beginning and one at the end. If you know me, you know I love to scope all the things. If this is what you are looking for in this article, I regret to inform you that you will be sadly disappointed. This will, pretty this will be pretty low tech. Anybody still here? Okay, moving on. The DTCs suggest I have a bunch of modules not talking. The best first test for this is checking for a complete bus. Pins 12 and 13 on the DLC are for the chassis expansion bus. Like with powertrain high-speed CAN, I should see 60 ohms between pins 12 and 13 because of the two 120 ohm resistors. Connecting my meter, I had between 0 and around 1500 ohms. It's, it's safe to say that something was going on. I get by with a little help from my friends. I remembered getting a network diagnostic lesson from Keith DeFazio from New Level Auto. In the lesson, uh, let me separate this a little bit here. In the lesson, he taught me the best way to attack this is to split the circuit. The issue should be on one half of the circuit and what would and would offer a diagnostic direction. The closest and easiest testing location would be the steering angle sensor. Pins 1 and 3 go to one half of the bus and pins 2 and 4 go to the other half. 
I unplugged the steering angle sensor. Pins 1 and 3 showed 120 ohms, while 2 and 4 had that strange reading. The next logical spot was downstream, the instrument panel junction block. This vehicle spent some time outside with the doors off, so there was a distinct possibility that the exposed junction block got wet. The wires come in, come in on connector X5 and come out at X1. The X1 connector pins 19 and 20 would be the best testing location. This required removal of the junction block. The X1 connector was in the back of the junction block. The pins on the junction block side tested at 120 ohms, a normal value. The harness side showed the strange ohm reading. It looked like I'd be moving further downstream. The next item on the list was the multi-axis acceleration sensor. I did a check on the location of this module. According to the service info, it is located under the center console right next to the airbag module. If you are familiar with the GM consoles, you would realize it would be easier to check the next module in line, the left side seat belt retractor. The seat belt retractor is part of the wound section of the seat belt. To get to it, I had to take off the front and rear sill plates on the driver's side. While I was removing the rear sill plate, I could he hear electrical arcing, not something you want to hear in a car with insulation all over the place. Once the covers were removed, I could see the extent of the damage. There was nothing left of the connector, and the harness was essentially a mound of burned copper. If you touched it, you could see the sparks from the wires. This was a fire waiting to happen. I quickly cut all the wires back where the installation started again after taking a picture, of course. There was the problem. This most definitely explained the chassis CAN, code, CAN bus codes. I definitely needed to replace the seat, the seat belt retractor and pigtail, but I wanted to make only one call to the customer. Was this the only problem? We needed answers. The way to check if a module is bringing down the bus in this type of network is to loop both CAN high circuits together and both CAN low circuits together, effectively bypassing a suspected module. Typically, it's pin 7 to 8 and pin 5 to 6, or in this case, twist the blue-yellow wires together and the blue-white wires together. Bam! The chassis expansion bus would now talk. The only thing not talking was the left side seat belt retractor. I, if... I would need to install a new pigtail, but so I measured the resistance of the CAN bus wires to the junction box and labeled them. I ran a new quick test and cleared the DTCs, then reran the test to see what was left. The only issue that was of concern to the customer and me was the LIN bus code stored in the engine control module. Looking at the LIN bus network diagram, the only LIN component reporting to the engine module is the radiator shutter motor. This required another call to the shop. According to the customer, this was the original reason the vehicle went to the last repair shop. The previous shop requested them to replace the shutter motor, and the customer obliged. The code is a hard one and will not erase. Is this a faulty new component? I needed to hear more about this previous repair. There was a DTC for the fuel gauge circuit, and the shop replaced the sending unit and repaired a wire at the PCM. With this new information, I wanted to start with basics. In a situation like this, you need to treat this separate issue as though it's unrelated. Start over like there is a, this is a different vehicle. There is a LIN component not communicating. KISS, keep it simple, stupid. What does a module need to communicate? Voltage, ground, and, and communication wires. It's as simple as that. 
This grill shutter is hidden behind the bumper cover but in front of the radiator support. I did not want to take the bumper off unless I had to. According to the diagram, connector X106 is accessible. Back probed, there was sufficient voltage and ground supply. There were also about 6 to 7 volts at the LIN wire when the truck was key on. That voltage means very little to me while using a meter. It tells me that something is happening, but very little as to what. As to what. Generally, with Limbus, you will have a master and a slave module that will output nearly a 12-volt to nearly zero-volt square wave. Sometimes the slave will wake up and transmit. Sometimes it won't. The master will always transmit, waiting for all an answer from the slave module. I was too lazy to walk two feet to my scope, so I unplugged the X106 connector. While testing, the PCM of the harness is dead on the LIN wire. I examined the PCM connectors. I could see where the previous shop repaired the fuel level gauge wiring. The repair was covered by a little tape. When I say covered, I mean it was a piece of tape pressed together over the wires. I removed the tape to rewrap it. The wire and pin came out of the connector with the tape, the entire wire and pin. I had to then disconnect the X1 PCM connector, reinstall the pin, and solder the wire back together. While I was there, I wanted to check the LIN wire to the grill shutter but couldn't see the pin. The wire went into the back of the connector, but the pin was gone. I removed the locking cap to the connector, and clear as day, I could see the pin for the LIN wire backed out. I soldered and reinstalled the fuel level wire and pushed the LIN wire back into place. The locks did not engage. Upon closer inspection, the pin locks were broken. This vehicle needed a PCM connector. To verify my diagnosis, I reconnected the X1 connector and pushed the pins in. To nobody's surprise, the LIN code went away. The verdict is in. I was then able to recommend repairs. This vehicle needed a seatbelt tensioner, pigtail, and a PCM connector. The customer authorized the seatbelt tensioner and told me that he would find the PCM connector and wire it in himself. With the seatbelt tensioner repaired and installed with the repair pigtail, I was able to program it and clear all the chassis bus TTCs. The dash had no more warning messages on it and the system never went into limp mode. The customer decided to live with the broken wires in the rearview mirror until he felt like replacing the headliner. I taped up the exposed wires and reassembled the vehicle. The customer was happy to be able to finally receive his newly acquired Escalade. There is no greater challenge than man-made faults, but when you are de dealing with a series of them on the same vehicle, the difficulty factor is multiplied exponentially. However, keeping your cool and having a solid plan of attack is what it takes to decipher the faults and come out with your Superman cape flapping in the wind. So, that's that one. You can see it can get quite involved and you really you know, obviously he's a good diagnostician and, and a good author, too, for that matter. He writes a lot of uh, different technical articles. But you can see where it's a process. You've got to keep an open mind. You have to be willing to go through the process and not skip any steps, but uh, also not necessarily, you know, use something that's been prefabricated for you uh, as far as like a, you know, diagnostic flowchart and stuff like that because it doesn't always help. Okay, um, that's why he's talking about man-made faults. So anyway, 
I hope you got something out of that one. Uh, it's, you know, I found it interesting, and, and uh, hopefully you did too. And again, if you want to get a hold of me via email, it's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. And again, I'm also on LinkedIn under Brad's Motorworks. So check that out if you feel so inclined. Well, that's the end for that one. It's somewhat of a quickie. I hope you enjoyed it, got something out of it. And I appreciate you listening. I hope you have a fantastic day and a great tomorrow. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been an honor and a privilege to spend time with you. I hope you found this of value. Please share it with family and friends. Above all else, with all you're getting, get understanding. May God bless you and keep you. And thank you again.